Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 175 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody's doing well today. Also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc. They just released Dog Works 5. So go there and get that. They also released a new Acoustic Encounters episode as well. So you can check that out over at Acoustic Disc. Be sure also to sign up for the email there because you get that free treat of the week. One free tune mailed to you each week. So definitely worth signing up for. And also brought to you by Grace Design Preamp. And uh, yeah, my guest today uses one. You'll hear him talk about that in a little bit. I use one as well. They're fantastic. So thank you so much to Grace Design. Happy St. Patrick's Day. If you're listening to this the day that this is released, it's the 17th of March. Happy St. Patty's Day. By the way, welcome to uh, some of the newer listeners. Having Eliza on really brought uh, the numbers up. So thank you so much for Eliza for doing that. It was a great episode, I think. And uh, you might be also just turned on if you're a Billy Strings fan and coming to listen to this week's episode with Jared. And if you are, if you could just take two seconds and go over to Instagram and just and follow Mandolins and Beer, that would be awesome. Uh, really, uh, the numbers are really starting to get up there a little bit. So it's good to see. So welcome if you're new. Uh, my guest is Jared Walker. Jared returns back to the podcast. I got to see those guys this weekend in Charleston, both shows, and it was incredible. Like the fact that you know bluegrass in an arena wow it's it's really incredible if they come to your area go see it don't sleep on tickets because they will probably sell out both shows here were sold out um it's always just great to catch up with jared and the best part and i think you really can hear it in this episode is i've been fortunate enough to uh have known jared and and um get to meet him prior to just the explosion of Billy Strings. And he's just as nice and as humble and as kind as ever, you know? Um, and yeah, he's just, he's f- such a great player. And this is, this is a fun episode to talk to because you, you can kind of hear in his voice, like this is uncharted territory for a band to become, especially in this genre of music, and the genre he grew up listening to, you know, like the old school stuff, this is unheard of, you know, and they're still figuring it out. And it's really inspiring to hear uh, Jared's approach on everything. So I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. Thanks so much to Jared. It was great to hang out with him on a Sunday afternoon for a couple hours. And yeah, it was, it was cool, man. Spotless hotel room, by the way, too. Very impressive. Um, I, I, my hotel rooms look like a tornado hit him half the time it seems like but (laughs) jared's was really really organized so anyway great times hope everybody is doing well by the way that he he wore one of the mandolin podcast shirts on the uh sunday night show and been selling a bunch if you'd like to get one yourself go to mandolinsandbeer.com i've got them in black and white although the numbers are dwindling uh since jared wore it but yeah that was really really cool as well i definitely did not expect that so thanks to jared for that as well All right, everybody, let's get into the advertisements. Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. Who? Well, how about Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Myler Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey? Dude, 
multiple courses taught by many of those names, by the way. They have high angle, multi angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Best part is if you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you can get your first month for free. Go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. That's all one word. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Tone slabs, slabs of tone, the newest pick out there right now, and I love mine. Tone Slabs has got all the cool shapes, different thicknesses. Go to the website now, toneslabs.com, and get yourself a slab of tone. You will not be sorry. Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. They're built in Austin, Texas. Thank you to Pava Mandolins. Elderly Instruments. They carry Pava Mandolins. Go to elderly.com and check that out. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins, includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there for help. They're in their 51st year. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. Let's get into this episode with Jared, and uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. Hey, hey, just making sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. Hey, hey, hey. There we are. All right. Well, man, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Jared Walker. Jared, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, thank you for doing it. Uh, I were in Charleston, South Carolina right now. You guys played last night at the Coliseum and it was incredible. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. I, so many questions, so much stuff has happened since the last time we did this as far as uh, just you guys as a band and you as a, as a player and a person, man. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, like seeing bluegrass in arena on paper probably seems like a weird situation. Like, wow, it, you guys nailed it. Like it was, it was incredible. It was, I really was blown away. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. It's definitely weird playing arenas, you know, (laughs) playing, Oftentimes, some traditional songs, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, there's a song we do called uh, A Robin Built a Nest on Daddy's Grave. Yeah, yeah. We played that last night, and it's so traditional. It's like never in a million years would I have thought that song would ever be heard in an arena. So it, <laughs> right. I kind of get a kick out of that. In, in your wildest dreams is young Jared... Like, I mean, you grew up with bluegrass, so, you know, like, I grew up listening to, like, whatever Midwest rock band, so, like, to me, like, the thought of an arena was like, oh, wow, playing arena, but did you ever, like, even imagine in your world as a bluegrass player that you'd be playing, and, and not just playing, selling out arenas? Definitely not. <laughs> no. I, uh, when I first joined Billy Strings, we were playing three, 400 capacity clubs. And that felt like a lot. And it was just a big 
shock to play for a bunch of people who both were standing up because I was used to seated crowds, but standing up and they knew the words to Little Maggie and Slow Train and some of these trad songs. So that was, that was a trip alone. And, you know, it's kind of like watching, watching your, uh, your beard grow. It, it just, it just, every day just gets a little longer and it's kind of hard to realize. But then one day you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I got a really long beard now. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how it is playing these arenas. It's, uh, it's definitely bizarre, but the experience is, is shockingly not that different than playing one of those clubs that we initially played because more or less you can only see the first uh, couple hundred people. And then it's, it's just shadows. So if you don't overthink it too much, it's more or less the same. What was the first show for you? Like where you were like, wow, this is even bigger than, I expected because you know, like you said, it's like watching a beard grow. But I would imagine at some point you're like, "Wow, we're uh, we're playing here, this giant place, and we're the headliner." Yeah, I guess when we in 2018, maybe 2019, I can't remember, but we did shows opening up for Green Sky, and they were playing huge venues, and. I remember specifically when we played at the Anthem, which is in DC, mm-hmm. and and that one, I don't know, it's probably six or seven thousand people, and it's pretty staggeringly big when you look out into that empty room, and there's a lot of space in there, um, just doing sound check and whatnot, and that's one that sticks out in my mind, mm-hmm. but you know. We go back there now, and it does. It doesn't doesn't feel quite the same, you know. You kind of get used to whatever you're exposed to. Still, ex- extremely thankful for for all of it. But if every night I walked out on stage and was shocked by the amount of people that are there, it would be hard to perform. So you kind of get acclimated to whatever to whatever you are in front of night to night. But, you know, when we were in Europe, uh, we, we did a, a tour in Europe this year. A couple times, actually, went, went overseas. And those rooms were more similar to what we were playing in 2018, 2019. And sometimes when you're in a smaller room and it's more intimate, it's a little bit more nerve wracking because you can actually see the expressions on people's faces <laughs> as opposed to just, you know, a sea of people. It's, you know, for me, it's, it's more intimidating playing for, for 50 people uh, back in my hometown that I know than it is to play for 5,000 people who I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the biggest transition you've had to make as a mandolin player and, again, used to playing in, into a stationary mic and, and now moving to these bigger stages? What's, like, some of the challenges that you face? And like you said, it's quiet on stage. It's all in-ears except for the bass and, and one guitar amp for Billy. Right, more or less, yeah, it is 
pretty quiet on stage, almost silent. But I'd say there are a few adjustments. One is trying not to play super hard because, you know, the natural tendency when you see a lot of people in the crowd is you want to bring a lot of energy and you kind of want to match the energy of the crowd. But, you know, playing mandolin is often a finesse kind of thing. You know, it's, you can't swing a tennis racket like a baseball bat. Right. That's a, what a great analogy. (laughs) That's a good one, man. But that, that was one, one thing that I had to get used to. Also just using, using a boost uh, on, for people who don't know on a, on a DI, which is what you plug your mandolin into just to amplify it. And in lieu of an amp, there's oftentimes a, a boost that you use for your solo and it's set at a certain level. And so, you know, you're playing your rhythm, then you turn on your boost and it's time to take the solo. Just learning how to play with dynamics while your while your ears are plugged with in-ears, it's, uh, it's like, it's like wearing headphones, you know, and trying to talk to, to somebody. It, it can be a little, little tricky. Sometimes you're speaking louder than you thought you were, you know, uh, that took a lot of, a lot of trial and error. And, and it still is something that I'm trying to figure out. It's bluegrass is naturally more conducive to small rooms where you can hear the nuances of the instruments and you can, you can play off of each other. You have a few mics and you know, the person who's soloing just steps up to the mic and things are kind of naturally mixed. You know, you might not even hardly hear the the fiddle at some points or the banjo. You'll hear whoever is up at the mic and, and those Flatten Scruggs and Stanley Brothers kind of bands, you know, Bill Monroe uh, kind of bands, they were masters at doing that. And this is something completely different while at the same time trying to get a similar effect when we do play traditional songs. You guys do it. I didn't really know what to expect just to, to see, you know, I've seen plenty of theater shows. I've seen plenty of theater shows that don't sound great. You know, sure. And you guys sounded great. I, I, you know, I was blown away, man. And you could everybody, like everybody, like just people around us, or people walking out, or people I saw this morning who were at the show were just like, "Good lord," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I, you know, again, like you said, like it's you don't have the ability to mix yourself. You're kind of counting on, you know, almost like a, a third party to be like making it sound good for you guys. So right. Yeah, our sound guy, Andy Lytle, who's been with us shortly after I joined, probably a good six months or so. But he has things really dialed in, and we have we have people running in-ear monitors, and you know, there's there are a lot of people working out there to make us sound good, and you just have to trust that they're doing their job. And so if I play soft 
I have to assume that if I'm playing too soft, he'll turn me up. And if I'm playing loud, then he'll turn me a little down. And I think, I think just knowing that kind of puts us all at ease. Yeah, I bet. And he, like you say, he's been with you forever. He it, And it's just, it blows my mind to think about this guy who, you know, like I, I can't even look at it. Yeah. You know, if we, we could go to a little bar right now and we could, you and I could figure out how to turn the PA system on, you know, no matter what, figure it out, get, get sounds. I don't even know if I could do that. <laughs> I bet you could, but like, I couldn't walk into a place like that yesterday and be like, Oh yeah, I can, I can get this on. I mean, the learning curve, even for somebody who's got experience, it's still got to be pretty staggering. So kudos to that dude. Every time I've either seen you guys or, you know, listened to a live stream, I'm always really, really impressed by, you know, the sound you guys get, especially being plugged in slash, you know, direct mic and with effects. It really, it sounds great. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's taken a long time to get things dialed in to where they are now. And, you know, ideally it'll sound better tomorrow too. So did you have to do like, um, did you do big pre-production rehearsals for like when you started doing like arena runs, did you have to sit down and go into like a big sound stage and be like, holy cow, we have to. No, but that would have been a great idea. (laughs) 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 No, we, uh, we kind of gradually moved up, you know, like I was saying earlier, we just kind of slowly moved into these bigger venues and it kind of organically naturally took shape. Cool lights and everything too. The screens and the, like the effects and stuff that are going on. And it's a a whole nother, like just another incredible part of the show, you know, like even the back wall, I didn't even realize so much watching the show that I, turn and look and I'm like, Oh, there's like a whole light show on the back wall. I didn't even realize going on. Yeah. There's so much going on that we don't realize on stage, you know, it it would be very distracting if we could see all the, all the lights changing and all the screens and everything. So I forget sometimes that all that is going on. And then, you know, I'll, I'll look back at some pictures and I was like, Oh wow, that looks really cool. You know, (laughs) (laughs) but thankfully Thankfully, all all the lights and all that stuff. It if if we make a mistake on stage, it helps cover it up a little bit. <laughs> <All right. laughs> it's a little distracting. So sure, sure. <laughs> a lot going on. You guys always change your set list up pretty dramatically, show to show. How far in advance do you know the tunes for the day? Do you have to sit down pre gig and be like, um, "Can we run whatever? We haven't played this in five months." Well, we try. And pretty successfully now, because there are a few albums to work with, we try not to repeat anything from night to night. And especially if if we're on a uh, three-night run somewhere, we we won't repeat any song from night to night because a lot of people go from show to show. You know, they go out for an entire tour. And uh, we see a lot of the same faces in the in the front in the front of the crowd um but it it depends on on the night but we never we never know what we're going to play until sometime in the afternoon generally 
but more or less, they're only going to be at most three or four songs we're not all that familiar with. So it's generally speaking, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, a, a reasonable ask, you know, to, to, to learn those songs. There was a point, I guess it was, I guess it was 2020 or 2021. We played a new song every show and a, a completely new song that we had never played before. Um, that was just kind of a, I think that kind of naturally happened too. I don't think we set out to do it, but then we realized that we were doing it and we just wanted to see how, <laughs> how long we could keep it going. Yeah. And I don't know how long we kept it going, but quite a while. Um, but uh, for instance, what, what time is it? It's, uh, it's almost four. It's almost four. I know what we're going to play tonight. Okay, cool. Last night at this time, I didn't. And we usually get together an hour before the show and, you know, more or less goof off and then realize we have to go on stage really soon. So we run through stuff really quickly and just see how it goes. And generally it goes pretty smoothly. What about breaks? I'd like the breaks kind of, do you have an idea of when you're going to take a solo in, you know, in those songs? With the originals, it's it's pretty set in stone. And even the traditional ones that, that we play, we've played those so much. Well, we played, we played them for years without a fiddle player. And now we have Alex Hargraves uh, playing with us. So every once in a while, I, I'll look at him to take a solo where I generally would have taken the second solo. Oh yeah. You know, if the banjo kicks it off, you know, generally speaking, the fiddle goes next. And I mean, traditionally like a, the, the guitar isn't even playing a solo, you know, in, until the past, you know, what, 40, 50 years. So, but, but generally if, if we hadn't gone over a song at all and it just gets pulled out of the hat, you know, most likely it's banjo, fiddle, mandolin, guitar. You know, that's kind of the the general sequence that it goes in. But we switch it up because that would get boring if it was completely predictable like sure. that. But <laughs> but if 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 none of us know who's going next, that's a pretty safe assumption. Alex fits perfect. What a what a great addition to the band. Yeah, he's fantastic. Is it is it weird having a fiddle player for you now as a mandolin player? Is it uh, like what do you think that adds for you as as far as a as a player goes? Now having like you know another sort of the same register, does it free you up in any sort of ways to experiment or play a little bit differently than you maybe would without a fiddle player? Well, I guess I take probably. 15% less solos now, <laughs> <Right. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, which is nice. Cause I get to save some of my ideas, but, uh, but no, having, have him, having him there to maybe chop while I'm taking a solo or just, it, it adds so much, you know, cause up until, up until he joined, there was no instrument that had sustain naturally. 
like a fiddle does, you know, a dobro rings out, a fiddle rings out. The other instruments are pretty staccato. And so having him there, that just kind of opens things up, you know, and I don't, I don't have to worry about, about keeping the rhythm nearly as much as I, I felt like I, I did in the past just because, you know, it, it just makes things easier having, having somebody there who can cover that ground that in the past was almost solely occupied by, by my instruments register. So it's, it's nice. It just, it adds, you know, a, a certain lushness to the music that it didn't have before. You know, I, I always, I always felt when we played with a fiddle that it'd be nice to have it, you know, going forward. But it was just, it was just a timing kind of, uh, kind of thing. And it took a few years to get it to where it made sense for a full-time fiddle to join. Um, but John Mylander used to play gigs with us and, uh, and he's, he's out with Bruce Hornsby and, uh, and doing a bunch of stuff on his own, his, uh, band forecast. Um, but it, it was always, it, it felt like I got a raise every time the, <laughs> the fiddle came. Yeah. <laughs> it, it adds a, a certain uh, amount of freshness to the sound. Yeah. And Alex is definitely one of the best. He, uh, he can play like Kenny Baker, or, you know, and then turn around and play like, you know, Stuart Duncan and Billy Contreras. And he's got a great knowledge of, of bluegrass. And then, you know, he's studied jazz and he's just a, He's a great, great player. Yeah. yeah it's really cool to see him up there. So Yeah. I guess he's been with the band about a year now, which is which is crazy. I remember seeing the proposal online. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. great. Yeah, I, I I thought that would be a good idea to formally propose to him. I didn't think that Billy would actually do it, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm glad he did. Yeah. Um, what's the, uh, you, you have a new mandolin since the last time I saw you as well. Uh, what's it, it, a lot of people always speculate what you play. I see sometimes on the, uh, forums or the, uh, you know, whatever Facebook groups are talking about instruments. So, well, on stage, I still play my, uh, 2016, 17 Weinman mandolin. That one sounds the best on stage, you know, when certain, certain instruments, you know, might acoustically sound really good, but then you put a pickup in it and it just sounds really bad. And it can be the same exact setup, you know, which is what happened with my newest mandolin that I have, which I, I love it acoustically. It's a Gibson distressed model. Uh, some people think it's a lure, but it's not. Um, and if I had a Lloyd lure, I wouldn't put a pickup in it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of the indication it's not a lure. <laughs> right. yeah. um, that's a little sacrilegious. I think people would form, you know, a mob if, if I did that. But I put the same pickup, which is a K and K, in that mandolin, 
ran it through the same DI and it just sounds artificial when it's plugged in. And so that's just my second mandolin on, on the road. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I carry two with me, one for stage and one for rehearsals and just, you know, warming up and all that stuff. Or if I break a string, you know, sure. it, it will work. It just doesn't sound as good. What year is that? The, the Gibson? Uh, I think it's a 2014. I think it is interesting though to, um, even with the, the biggest stage stuff, you know, and uh, like the high end stuff you have now that it's, it's all really dependent on some mandolins when you plug them in and when you put a pickup in them, like how it, how it sounds. Cause it's not just, it's not just your fingers anymore. You know, it's a whole lot of power <laughs> for sure. And I'm sure there's probably a way that I could with some kind of EQ pedal or something, get things really dialed in with that mandolin. Um, but that's a road I haven't really gone down yet, but I'm sure, I'm sure there's a way, but I, I mean, there are a lot of great mandolin players who you've heard their recordings and it sounds fantastic. And then when you hear them live, it hardly sounds like a mandolin, you know, it almost sounds like a, like a guitar it's just a trial and error and just kind of luck of the draw thing that, that mandolin I've been using, I, I've kind of got lucky with that one. And, uh, same thing with, with Billy, with his, he's bought a lot of nice guitars and the one that generally sounds the best on stage is still his original Thompson guitar that he's been playing since I joined the band. And same thing with Royal, our bass player, He's gotten bases since, and they just don't sound as good. So we kind of got lucky the the first go around. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's just the way that it went down. What what's the uh, so you got a KK in there, but you also have a uh, clip on. Yeah, well. mm-hmm. I I I have a clip on mic, which is both lines are two channels are sent to the front of house, and it's more or less. 50 50 it's just di and then the mic and the the di is generally just naturally on the brighter side and that's what usually sounds more artificial um and then the clip on mic is generally a little darker and sounds more like the actual instrument itself so the combination between the two generally results in a pretty natural sounding more or less natural sounding mandolin it's not going to be as good as a just a standalone mic nothing sounds as good as that does but when you're playing like these arena shows it's impossible to crank that stuff up without just a whole world of feedback. So a, a lot of people, you know, online are, 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 are critical about plugging in instruments, which is, I, I get it. It doesn't sound as good. Like uh, we are the first ones 
to admit that. But if you want to play these venues, you just got to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a trade-off. It is. And by the way, it sounds great. Does it sound exactly like your mandolin if you were sitting in front of me? No, but I've been to smaller shows where it sounded worse. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You, you, you can tell that you guys have spent a lot of time on on your tones. You guys are at a level no other bluegrass band that I can think of is at, has been at. I mean, you know, I love Bill Monroe. He's the father of bluegrass, but even at his height of fame. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, I, I I wasn't there, but I, I'd imagine it was not like this. I mean, you guys have you guys are like the Beatles. Sometimes you see fan artwork, and there's making dolls of you guys, and <laughs> you know what I mean, like stickers of you guys, and of each. Per- it's 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 wild. It is very wild. It's uh, it's it's very bizarre, you know, because a lot of the artists that that I have the most reverence to in my mind never played shows at this level and in my mind I will never reach that level that I hold them to in my mind and so you know an artist like Towns Van Zant or somebody like that he was still and still is more or less obscure as many people that know him now, a lot, a lot fewer knew him, you know, when he, when he passed away. And I don't think he was selling out a thousand capacity clubs, let alone, you know, the, the places, you know, that, that we're playing now. And, and that's just one of the many artists that, you know, that music means so much to me and it's, it, it definitely becomes like an imposter syndrome kind of thing, you know, because we all feel very grateful, but we're like, why me? That kind of, that kind of mentality, but you gotta keep that in check a little bit. You know, if you want to keep playing those shows. Sure. It's a, it's, it's like a responsibility. It's like a different responsibility. I mean, again, it's like uncharted in this genre of music, but like you still have a job to do, you know, even if you're like, well, how is this, how is it happening? You know, eight, eight o'clock rolls around. doesn't matter how it's happening. <laughs> you <know>? Right. Right. <laughs> you, know, you have to go out and make sure, you know, you do what you do. And which is why you, which is why you're there in the first place, you know, because what you do is, really really good and and still based in the authenticity well it's we're we're trying we're yeah. trying to it's it, it's interesting to try to navigate the different worlds because there are a lot of people who as you said think it is either too traditional or not traditional enough or there's too much jamming or there's not enough jamming and I think a lot of people assume that when you're playing shows at this, at this level, that those comments go unseen. But a lot of times we do see them. Like most of the time, like if I see stuff like that, I don't want to, 
get involved, but I, I see a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, Jared seems off tonight, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> like, it's like, ugh. well, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, you know, but it, you just can't, can't pay too much attention sure. to that stuff. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, a show that I think is like one of my one of my worst uh, of the tour, you know, some people will be it, it almost always happens like this. You know, when I think I I played good, you know, just kind of crickets, you know, <laughs> you know, online. And, and if I you know, I think I played really bad, you know, you know, that's the best show of of the whole tour, you know, you know, you know, you know, in the court of public opinion. Do you think maybe, um, you know, those nights where you feel like you're playing good, maybe is, um, because you're playing differently and the nights that you're not playing in your mind, like having a good night, you kind of shift to, um, tried and true. Like, well, I know if I play this lick, it's gonna, it's gonna, kill every time but maybe the night that you played best you're like i didn't even have to rely on that lick i was you know and so maybe people are like you know to you you're reaching out and growing as a player and other people are like well where's the wheedly wheedly yeah right yeah that's my signature lick yeah i i think there is a lot uh to what you just said the the tendency to want to play something completely different is sometimes more self-gratifying than it is necessarily the best musical route to go. Because there's probably a reason that I, I'm sick of a certain way I play a solo, but I, I developed that solo from trial and error you know, and I might be really tired of playing it, <laughs> um, which I, I more or less never play the the exact same thing. But, you know, sometimes I want to start it off, you know, up high instead of down low or something, something like that. And that's not always the best thing to do. Sometimes what you've worked out over the years is the best way to play it for you. Uh, I mean, put somebody else in my position and they might play it best completely differently. But it's kind of a theoretical uh, discussion. Like, what is the best way to play this? And how do you play your best show? Is it, is it, I guess the the best thing to do is just to listen to the people around you and try to make them sound better, you know. And I think a lot of times if I think like, man, I really killed it tonight, then I was more focused on my individual playing rather than the sound as a whole. And people aren't listening to one instrument. The way that it sounds in my ears, you know, I might be thinking about about my, my solo on something, but more or less people are not going just for the mandolin or just for the banjo 
or just just for the guitar or whatever they're you know they're going a lot of people are just going for an experience and it's and that's something to think about too uh, to a lot of people it's just the experience of going to a show going to an event going to an arena is fun and for example i don't really care about sports but i like going to sporting events because it's a spectacle and it's kind of for a lot of people it's that way you know there there are a lot of people out there in the crowd who are not die hard billy strings fans and they might not ever go to another show for one reason or another maybe they maybe they will who knows but but the light show that's a show all on you know itself the the videography that's that's another show and then you have the music and there's so much going on where I think it's just most important that you seem like you're having a good time. And a lot of times if I'm really concentrating on my playing, I might not appear to be having the best time, even if I feel like I'm playing my best. But, you know, interesting. Yeah. If I want to play my best, I probably just sit in a chair and and don't don't look at anybody and just look at my hands the whole time. Right, right. You know that's that's probably my natural inclination yeah. is to do that. So that that's something I try to think about. Everything I've seen, I watch as many live streams as I can if I'm not gigging or doing anything like that. And I mean, uh, you just always sound great. You always make me you know, realize I need to practice stuff <laughs> you know well that's, double that's how i feel when i listen to myself i just need to practice <laughs> yeah. how do you find time to practice right now when you're when you're on the road i mean you know today we're in a hotel room so like you know them but you know with like the traveling and you guys are in a bus i'm assuming now yeah i mean there's not a whole lot of practicing going on it's just things are so busy I oftentimes don't have a mandolin with me. They sometimes they're on on their way to the next city. Oh wow! You know we've we've got we got three buses and like five semis, and oh you know gosh. so like if if I if I need my mandolin case, like they've got to like go get it out of a semi or something. So it's uh, but the long story short. I should be practicing more, <laughs> but, uh, but sometimes you need a, you need a break from, from the, uh, it's a, it can be very much like a sensory overload kind of thing, you know, and sometimes I, a lot of times I don't want to listen to music. I don't want to do anything music related. Like we're, we're in my hotel room right now and like I've got golf on the TV <laughs> yeah. and I don't even play golf. <laughs> it's, it's just, just, it's the, just the complete, like getting your mind off of things that is sometimes very necessary just to reset. Um, you know, and we play, you know, about three hours every night. So that's, that's a lot of practicing in and of itself, you know? So, I think if I, if I had 
more time, which you can always make time, but uh, I'd probably just do more metronome kind of work. I think that's one of the more beneficial things that I could do. What do you, um, what are you plugging into as far as you got now? Does the mic go into a preamp and then the K and K go into a preamp as well? I have one preamp and that is the grace design. Alex, Alex, yeah. however you pronounce it. It's the, it's the middle, middle of the road. It's not the smallest. It's not the biggest. Um, and I'm not exactly sure, like if I had to set up my own gear right now, I'm not sure that I could, um, actually I know that I know that I couldn't, um, because now we're, we're wireless and we got all, all kinds of stuff going on, you know, uh, so I don't even know the answer to the question. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No worries, man. What um, pedals you like, uh, aside from the preamp, are you using like any effects? I know we talked about it before. I think you had like a freeze pedal or something like that, that you had been using. And yeah, I've got this, uh, this freeze pedal that it, it's like, a it looks like a piano foot pedal. And I'm trying to think what the name of the, the brand is. It's some, I think it's like a German made pedal. It's very good. Um, and I use this even tied pedal, which has the capacity to do like, you know, hundreds of different sounds. Um, but more or less, I only use a couple and one of them kind of makes like very ethereal kind of like, like classic crystals is the setting right. that I, that <laughs> right. I, that I use, whatever that means it, you know, it's a very vague, uh, term, but it kind of describes it. It's a uh, very twinkly. Um, but I, I have a couple reverb pedals and, and I, I'm always trying to find new stuff that, that is conducive to a mandolin because you know everything's made made to work with uh, an electric guitar you know even an acoustic guitar is uh m more suited for for pedals than a mandolin you know uh it's once again you know pretty un unchartered waters but i just go to some pedal shops you know there's one there's a great one in uh in Nashville called Eastside Music Supply. Oh yeah. And they have a lot of boutique kind of pedals that are, you know, I'll, I'll go through a bunch of them and, you know, try them out. And sometimes it sounds great in the store and then you take it into a, into a venue and it doesn't sound as good. And so it, again, how do you know that until right. <laughs> right. they don't, they don't let you just go try it out. You got to buy it and then just like be like, okay, well, I guess, there goes four hundred dollars. Right. You know, I'm gonna run to Bridgestone Arena and just try this out real quick. Yeah, do you mind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I I I bought one recently. It's called, I think it's from Earthquaker Devices. Yeah, I love and, their pedals. And it's uh, I think it's called uh, like Astral 
destiny. It's a it's a pink it's a pink pedal, um, and that one has some pretty. Uh, uh, it's just kind of uh, what's the best way to describe it. I don't know. It's it, uh, it's another one of those kind of ethereal sounding, uh, you know sounds of the heavens you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> one of those pedals sounds very uh sounds very lush and you know kind of gets buried in the in the mix which you know when things like break down or you know some some jam is more uh soft and i don't need to be playing uh a definitive chop or something like that i'll bust that out or one of the like reverb pedals fun <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. Some, sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't you know sure but it's kind of magic though right when you don't expect anything and then all of a sudden it works and you're like hey here we it's yeah a new thing to do now right yeah i mean i i've got a i do have a delay pedal which is uh that's something that can be tough is just like is is getting the timing of the delay to work to work correctly. Yeah. Um I think I got it working a couple times last night, but um but it's it's a little nerve-wracking sometimes when when you when you go to turn on one of those pedals, it might just be a complete disaster. <laughs> oh man. And uh <laughs> And it's very, uh, it's very apparent when you turn on one of those, one of those more aggressive pedals, you know, like it can sound really good or really, really, really bad. Um, and, and also just kind of throw the whole band off because if that, if that delay is not, not set to the right tempo, you know, if, if you didn't tap your foot, right. If you're just a little bit off, then it can sound really bad. So you got to reset that, and you know, doing that all on the fly is—it's uh, a lot. Billy definitely has the the more intricate uh, setup with his pedals, and I mean, he's got he's got so many where there are pedals in a in a road case behind him that are that are all plugged in and he's got he's got a board in front of him which is all connected to those pedals and so so he's i don't even know how many he's got going but he's been able to find some really really cool sounds that i i don't know if you can even replicate them on mandolin yeah there were a couple last night that were like uh almost like an envelope filter but even wilder yeah and i was just thinking like hey, i don't think he could i don't think he could plug a mandolin into that there's maybe not enough bass response to get like that yeah wow. like that right really wild sweep you know right kind of i've i've tried those those envelope filters before uh-huh and it just didn't work for me it works well on on fiddle though um you can kind of get uh, because you know the notes are a little softer you know, just like a little bit more round on a, on a fiddle. So you can kind of get away with that a little bit, but, but mandolins can be pretty harsh, yeah. you know? Yeah. So 
So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's hard to find the right combination of pedals, you know, because also you don't want to just necessarily become a pedal, uh, mandolin player. Uh, you know, you want to be proficient at the instrument itself and just use the pedals as just an extra tool to make you play better. But sometimes like the pedal is, is so specific where you can only use it on one song. And I, I have, I have bought pedals just so I could use it on one song and, and that's okay. And then it doesn't get, you know, extremely (laughs) worn out, you know, and it stays a little fresher, but it's, it's hard to apply them in a musical way. A lot of times especially when when your main job is as a rhythmic instrument you know when you're playing the the snare drum role of the band it's you got to be you got to be careful that you're not just getting a little carried away yeah i mean it's just a great mix of music all night you know like it's it's and it's seems i won't say unpredictable but like i don't know like it seems like every show is completely different as far as the dynamics like you guys came out swinging last night with like, we're going deep, you know, first song in seemed like it was like already, you know, some, but like I've seen other shows where you guys are just hard driving and straight ahead for a few songs. And then, you know, I think it's a good way to, to mix it up and not be so reliant on, you know, technology. Right. Right. But again, I think it goes, that goes back to why you guys are so successful. You guys can, you guys can play in front of one mic and do what you do. Um, or you can play in front of, you can plug into all the pedals that you could find at a guitar center, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and play a set of music like that as well. But it comes back to that fundamental, which, you know, sometimes gets missed, you know, right. and like, Oh, I've got lights and pedals. That's all you need. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. You, you gotta, I think it was, I think it was Sam Bush who, who said you have to be able to play bluegrass before you can play new grass. And it's very, very true. Those those fundamentals are are often not as attractive to somebody starting out playing, but ultimately, you know, you you gotta you gotta learn those those fundamentals. The you gotta get get your timing, you know, pretty solid, and get your tone pretty good before you start worrying about making crazy sounds. Because if you don't have those other things, then nobody is going to care how crazy your sound is. Yeah, yeah, because you just got to still be able to play. Right. <laughs> you know, are you guys? Do you, um, you guys ever plan on? Are there ever going to be openers? You just? You, are you guys just like doing the three-hour thing? The, the the two sets is that? Well, when we opened for bands, it would generally just be we play a short, short set and then they play like three hours. So it it was, uh, it didn't necessarily, at this point, it doesn't make sense for us to have openers. Um, because you know, you have to, you have to sound check and then you have to break things down and that's, that's extra work for the people involved. Um, and 
maybe at some point we will, but at this point there aren't any plans of it. Yeah. Also, congratulations on the, uh, the song of the year for IBMA. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's that's great. That's a whole other facet of your of your um, world. Your your brother's got a single out that Tim O'Brien sings that you also wrote. Right. Yeah. Great song as well, man. So is it same sort of thing? Are you able to write on the road, or is it? You know, yeah, I, don't, I know you don't have an instrument necessarily all the time with you, but you know, every once in a while, I I do. Um, I I wrote a song with with Billy that that we have been playing a good bit on the road called "Gone Gone a Long Time," and. That one we just wrote on the bus. Oh, cool. Um, but we haven't done that very, very much. M- more or less what I what I wind up doing is is making notes in, in my phone of just, you know, of interesting things that I hear, or just ideas or, you know, lines or whatever. And whenever I do sit down to write, I have those to pick from and, I'm not starting from scratch and I write most of the songs like the ones that you mentioned. I, I wrote with Christian Ward, who is, uh, who is my longtime friend and a great fiddle player and a great songwriter. Um, and, and we were constantly writing and we have a bunch of songs ready to go, um, for, for whether it's, whether they get recorded, you know, with, with Billy or, you know, the, the one that you mentioned that my brother, uh, Corey recorded, um, Tim O'Brien singing that one. And that was just one that we had kind of laying around that, uh, I, I, I'm happy with how that song turned out. I mean, having Tim (laughs) O'Brien sing, sing one of your songs is, is, is very, uh, very cool for me. Um, cause he's one of my favorite singers and writers and mandolin players. I mean, fiddle players and guitar players too. He's just a fantastic, you know, uh, triple quadruple threat, um, of a musician. And so that was very cool. Um, we've got, a a song that the, uh, East Nash grass, which is a, a band that my brother and, uh, some other people are in, um, uh, Harry Clark, who I know you've interviewed at some point. Um, and, uh, and so we have, we have a song on there called, called magic city gray, which, um, will be coming out probably, probably in the next, next few months, I would assume. Um, but that's one that I, that I pitched for the first, uh, Billy strings record that I was a part of the home, and uh, and it got passed on for that record, um, so it's nice to have that song getting getting some life, you know. Um, but yeah, love songwriting, and it's it's a good good outlet, you know, creative outlet outside of outside of playing playing mandolin or or, or singing or whatever. Yeah, well, you're good at it. That helps too. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do you write on guitar? It's it's usually easier to write on guitar it's it's a little bit more uh forgiving you know in in the songwriting process you know uh also i think it it helps that i 
am not as critical about my guitar playing as I am about my mandolin playing. So it, it helps me to not have as much of my ego attached to the, the playing side of it. That way I can kind of focus on the melody and the, and, and the lyrics of the song. So it's a good segue because now I have to ask what it was like to play Tony Rice's guitar. Oh gosh. It was, it was incredible. I mean, that is the sound of my, definitely my childhood and a lot of my adulthood too. It's, uh, you know, just such a legendary instrument and, uh, it really opened up after playing it after playing it for just you know 15 20 minutes or whatever um you know collectively between you know billy and myself and uh the other people in the room it really has some special qualities to it it's not a very loud guitar um but it it sounds it sounds a lot better when you play it uh just i don't want to say delicately but like if you're not if you're not playing super hard and you're not slamming it um it really responds really really well of course tony you know would really dig in at times um but it's it's got low action. It's a kind of a smaller neck. If you try to play, you know, Tony Rice licks or, you know, Clarence White stuff on that guitar, it makes a lot of sense. It, it, it plays very well. It responds very well to that style of playing, um, which is very interesting. You know, um, it, it's kind of, uh, embedded in that guitar. Just, man, that's like so much incredible history and music has been played on that thing, man. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. To, to play around one mic, uh, I'm trying to think where we even were. I guess it was Winston-Salem is where we were. And uh, Tony's wife, uh, uh, Pam... She she brought the guitar, you know, along with a, a buddy of mine, Lucas White, who kind of helped orchestrate the the whole ar- arrangement. Um, he, he's close with the Rice family. Um, she okayed, or actually, kind of suggested Billy play it on stage. So uh, for the encore, we played around one mic. And, and we're kind of on a pretty, pretty skinny catwalk uh, up in front of the stage. Yeah, that's a, that's a new, that's a new addition to the stage, but it's, it's pretty skinny up there. It's probably no more than, you know, five or six feet wide. Um, and so standing up there playing into that mic with Tony's guitar right there, which is a very valuable instrument, (laughs) um, trying not to fall off the stage or or bump into that guitar with my 
headstock. <laughs> yeah. That was a little nerve wracking. It's so, giving me anxiety just looking at you telling me the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think we were all thinking about it while while we were up there, but gosh, can you imagine? Like that would have been <sighs> so terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure the internet would have ignored it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I am. Um, I just couldn't be happier for your success. You're like the nicest guy. You're a great player. And like, I, I can't think of a, like a nicer guy. All this amazing stuff is happening too. And I'm just stoked to see what happens for you next, you know, and, and uh, I, I love your playing. I'm looking forward to hearing whatever you record next and, you know, and uh, thank you so much for getting me in these shows too. That I mean, it was really appreciative and just a blast to to check it out. Of course. Well, thanks so much for having me again. Love the podcast and love love getting to talk to you. Yeah, man. Anytime. Seriously. Well, we'll do it again. Perfect. <laughs>